Welcome to Heads Up, a show about mental health and wellness. I'm retired school counselor Sue Mullen, and with me today is my co-host, licensed marriage and family therapist, Diane Vaccarello. Hello to my friend, Diane Vaccarello. <laughs> Hello, Sue Mullen. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. Did Good. you make it through Thanksgiving? Made it. Yep. The Monday after. All right. Yeah. Well, here we are. Thankful to have had the opportunity, I'm sure, yes. to share the holiday with family mm -hmm. and friends. And uh, as you well know, I had a holiday adventure you in really that did. I was sick on Thanksgiving. So glad you're better. Uh, but... Making lemonade out of lemons, mm -hmm. it gave me great pause to think about what we were going to do in our mm -hmm. wellness series this oh, week. Oh, wonderful. So uh, thank you for indulging me. I uh, mm -hmm. emailed you, as you well know, and we decided that we were going to sort of kick off the holiday season by talking about spiritual wellness. Yes. One of the six on the wellness wheel. And, you know, it's something that doesn't, I, I don't hear that being talked about a lot. And also, mm -hmm. um, I think there is very limited research out there about spirituality and wellness. Uh, one, one thing, Diane, that uh, struck me as I was, you know, sort of reading around and, mm. and Googling around, as you, you probably were too, um, was the sort of difference between people who describe themselves as being spiritual and people who describe themselves as being religious. Mm -hmm. So um, in my reading, what I came across was the common definition of spirituality seemed to center around sort of focusing on your values and your beliefs and how those things bring meaning and purpose to, to your life. Yes. And that that might be somewhat different than being religious, which tends to be a person's inclination to ascribe to one set of beliefs. Right, like beliefs, something secular or, yes. Right, beliefs mm -hmm. that belong to a particular church, mm -hmm. to uh, a particular faith. Mm. Um, why don't we talk more about spirituality? What's your, what, what's, your, what's your thoughts on that? It's a really good question. It's something that, you know, I, I am aware of how little in, for example, my training... In education, there was anything to do with spirituality, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, we hit on just about every other subject or topic. But it is interesting that there's an overlap with, for example, um, it used to be back in earliest ages, you know, there there's actually like um, a connection between mental health and religion and spirituality. Mm -hmm. There were even... Um, health centers like physicians used to be trained mental health workers used to be trained through um, monasteries like through churches originally and uh. so there was like a very strong connection there um, over many years things went a little bit sideways with sort of the treatment or care of mental um, mental wellness or mm -hmm. mental mentally ill mm -hmm. and um, it turned more into like the private sector actually McLean Hospital that's in Boston was one of the right. earliest ones right, that ever right. existed early 1800s I think um, and also Sigmund Freud um, 
psychoanalyst, Sigmund mm -hmm. Freud, was someone who suggested back when he was sort of like um, presenting his theories and topics that the two should be separated more. And so that's around the time well, that's, that, a, that's yeah, interesting because is, yeah. now we tend to look at spirituality as something that we want to integrate exactly, more, yes. not separate it out. He, he sort of spoke around the idea of histrionic types of natures and how it should be separate. But honestly, I think that it's really important to also be aware. This was interesting. Um, there's little research, but around 2010, there was like a burst of research around spirituality. And some of that indicated that um, I think there were psychiatrists and psychologists and mental health workers interviewed, like 56% or so had said they've never asked about spirituality when working with someone, hmm. even if it's over the course of years and years of treatment. It was never anything that the, was identified or asked um, at all. And so I think that's a pretty interesting high number because it can inform a lot of people's belief systems, not right. just belief as in faith or spirituality, but belief systems as in cognitive. Right. And that's a massive, major part of working with mental health and wellness is cognitive processing mm -hmm. and even CBT, which is called cognitive behavior therapy. Mm -hmm. It's a very common sort of therapy that's utilized. And to me, I'm thinking, well, if we're asking about cognitions, how can that not be influenced at some level? Right. Yeah. Uh, it provokes uh, some thought for me about the definition of spiritual wellness. Mm -hmm. um, oftentimes when people are looking at spiritual wellness, they talk about a person's worldview. Exactly. So this concept that spirituality somehow or another anchors us around the idea that there's something bigger and better Right. Than us as individuals. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that speaks to that worldview thing. It, it definitely does. Um, when I was reading, I, you know, I went to the Wellness Institute uh, literature to prep for today. Mm -hmm. And um, I was interested in what they had as the goals of spiritual wellness. Interesting. Yeah. So according to the Wellness Institute, the goals of spiritual wellness, balance in spiritual wellness, should be to be able to love freely, to show compassion, to forgive others, to experience joy, to seek fulfillment, and to be altruistic. Mm. And I read that list and I thought, well, you know what? If I could do all of those things in equal measure, I think I probably would feel pretty spiritually well. Absolutely, and mentally and emotionally well. Mm -hmm. How can that be teased apart, right? If somebody is feeling more positive or hopeful, um, less <clears throat> cynicism or negativity, that, that all helps with a person's emotional well-being. Yeah, sure. you mentioned um, research being done into spiritual wellness. Mm -hmm. um, I have read a lot about the uh, sort of faith-based connection in healing that yes. a lot of the medical schools, mm -hmm. and I'm wondering if it was around that, you, you mentioned yes. 2010. Exactly. I'm wondering if it was around that time period that uh, this body of, of knowledge came out that said that people who have a faith base mm -hmm. So, and that's an important distinction because yes. I, I, I think that 
some people can be made uncomfortable by mm -hmm. the concept of a faith base. Right. But people who have a faith base tend to do better. The outcomes are better. Absolutely. Medically, surgically, illness recovery wise, yeah. if that faith base becomes part of the healing. Absolutely, and you're right on that that surge of research has been most recent. Over the course of time, there's been very little, mm -hmm. but that sort of surge has to do with mental health and physical health and mm -hmm. the outcomes for um, patients. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of, it, it makes sense. Some of it is common sense around the idea of feeling maybe like there's a connection or a community, you know, because humans in isolation, not so much. It doesn't work yeah. so well. Um, allowing ourselves to come outside of ourselves <clears throat> and think about something greater than ourselves. Um, just coming outside of ourselves. period, right? There's a lot of research around how that can be beneficial for us, as well as being more introspective. There's mm -hmm. a combination there where someone who is more spiritual or thinking about spirituality has some of those thoughts that come inward more and outward more. So pretty essential to be able to think about somebody other than yourself. Exactly. And being able to feel like there's a purpose mm -hmm. for them and um, that they're doing good, that there's care, an ethic of care. Mm -hmm. All of those things really support greater health and wellness and is also somewhat contagious, you know, when you're caring about someone. And it's interesting because some of, you know, the, again, common sense kind of linkages are that there's also rules and some structure around religion or spirituality. Mm -hmm. And some people do better following some sort of structure and it also makes sense that um, if there's following rules and structure they may actually have less negative outcome experiences in their life that would be bringing them down like depression and and things like that because of being involved in um, rule breaking law breaking things like okay. that that will increase their negative experiences in life mm -hmm. you know and it's just like success breeds success well the opposite is true as well once you kind of get in along those lines or that track, there's more of that negative life experiences that are going to lead more towards um, depression and other ailments, if you think about it. So what, what are your thoughts on, um, when you talk about rules, mm. I've heard people describe themselves, uh, you know, really make a point of mm. describing themselves as being spiritual but not religious. Yes. And what is, what is your take on that? Well, so there's an interesting, when, when we're talking about rules, there, in this sort of body of general research, there are some negative um, connections in mm -hmm. some ways with having rules that attribute or um, increase a person's guilt. Oh. Like guilt is not mentally mm -hmm. or emotionally a good sort of like thing for us to feel a lot of. Yep. Um, we can then have self-judgment, effects on self-esteem going down, like that we're not good enough or not able to adhere to rules. And sometimes I think that people may generally or loosely correlate religion with harder, more steadfast or rigid rules mm -hmm. and um, perhaps spirituality is something that can be a little bit more fluid and um, you know there's some structure but not rules I guess the dis distinctive difference a bit with that mm -hmm. and I think it depends on a person's um, 
well, their general belief system and their upbringing, how they were raised. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of influences. But I think the idea of spirituality being some of what you described is the idea of transcendence, of something bigger than ourselves, of, you know, ascribing or um, reaching towards something that is better for us and better for other people. Um, And so if it's held in that way, Um, you know, I think that that's where some people are sort of like um, defining that for themselves. I tend to think of spirituality as being sort of the umbrella Mm -hmm. and that regardless of what your particular religion is, Mm -hmm. we can all be standing under the umbrella of spirituality Mm -hmm. and not necessarily ascribe to 100% of the belief system of any given religion or, uh, in fact, one of the things, uh, being tolerant of other people's values and beliefs. Differences. Is considered to be pretty... Yeah. inherent in people yes. who are spiritually grounded. Yes, I would say a ma- major ingredient in that, in fact. And the idea of if that is sort of belief system-wise what a person is subscribing to in the idea of you know, broad care and concern, love for other people, that's going to bring a person up, you know, that's going to lift them up and give them hope and all of the optimism, you know, things that I think generally are linked to people who are a bit more resilient mental health wise. Right. So those spokes of uh, altruism, Mm -hmm. um, compassion, being able to extend a helping hand Mm -hmm. to other people. Those are all pretty positive attributes. Mm -hmm. Um, Would you agree that there is also a a great deal of comfort to be found in spirituality. For sure, and I wonder how much that is linked back to what you were talking about with physical health as well. If a person's um, psyche and their emotions, their body can be comforted by these belief systems and these thoughts and cognitions, how that will affect the rest of our body system, right? Mm -hmm. If we can relax and we've talked a lot about like physical health and body relaxation and things like that. Mm -hmm. But if you're not sending constant stress signals in addition to what's going on, how can that be harmful, right? In fact, I think it's really, um, there is research showing that people are more resilient physically as well as mentally when they have that kind of belief system. Mm -hmm. So it's a bit of a, uh, a release Mm-hmm. hatch as well. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I um, was always particularly aware of the value system of a student or a family around death and dying. Mm, absolutely. Uh, you know, different different groups, different religions uh, have specific traditions, specific beliefs, Mm-hmm. And I found it to be exceptionally helpful mm-hmm. when working with a student or a family. Yeah. If I knew what their belief system was, if I knew that they had sort of a religious anchor, mm-hmm. you know, regardless of what the particular religion happened to be. For sure. Because I, th- I found it comforting to people that you could sort of speak their language mm-hmm. about what was going to happen yes. in the process of losing someone. Exactly. And again, that connection mm-hmm. with someone in those moments where we can find um, compassion and support. And it's, um, 
it's a very interesting terminology. You know, I feel like it's less distracting when we can connect mm -hmm. with someone through a common sort of language or um, process. As I say that word, I'm sort of reminded about the very original um, mental hospitals, if you will call them that, mm -hmm. were called originally like distraction hospitals or distraction rooms for people who are distracted. That's interesting. Yeah, they refer to mental illness as a distraction. And so um, it just, it, it was something that always well, stuck with me. Well, I think you me. would agree that mental illness is <laughs> very distracting a critical to, distraction yes, it is very, for, uh, yes. yep. It is, it, it distracts from life, it yes. distracts from so much. And so it when we think distracts about- distracts and detracts. And detracts, yes. Yep. And so that distraction, if we don't need extra distractions, mm -hmm. right? Even mm -hmm. in the therapeutic process. Mm -hmm. So it is really important, I feel like, when we can connect and join with an mm -hmm. individual or a family that we don't add to distractions, but in fact, we can sort of meet them where they are and support them within the framework that they have. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that works so much better to, to provide healing, health, and support. Yeah, it's interesting because I can remember as a kid, I was one of four growing mm. up, and um, whenever one of us would be complaining or whining about something, my mother in inevitably would fall back to, well, you think you've got troubles? <laughs> Let me tell you about Alice. Alice mm -hmm. has troubles. Alice oh, wow. is dealing with X, Y, and Z, and mm. at the time, you know, we sort of rolled our eyes and mm. uh, looked at each other and said, oh, here she goes again. Mm. It wasn't until I was much older that I realized that what I think she was probably trying to do was to say, look at something beyond the end of your nose. Interesting, yes. You know, and that, perspective. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. But that perspective was always that somebody else had it worse off mm -hmm. than we did. It's actually generally true, right? In a lot of ways, people will say, if you throw everyone's problems into a heap in the mm -hmm. middle of the room, mm -hmm. you'd likely pull yours back and say, I'll take that one, thanks, you know, as opposed to right. not all, all the time. But um, generally speaking, there, there are a lot of significant, layered, complex things that people are dealing with. And when we can have some perspective and have someone um, encourage us to think outside of ourselves while mm -hmm. holding space for our own emotions and things like that, of course, mm -hmm. um, I think it's a really nice blend, you know? So loving freely, mm -hmm. showing compassion, forgiving others, that's a tough one. Yes. Forgiving, we do a show just for, on that. Forgiving others even when you think <clears throat> they're yeah, wrong. They, they should yes. don't deserve it necessarily. Yes. Yeah. Experiencing joy, seeking fulfillment, and being altruistic. I mean, obviously, those things in combination would add to the meaning of anyone's life. Of course. You know, yeah. if you were able to experience something in all of those uh those sort of component areas, I think that that would have a positive impact. Yeah. Um, you're aware of the work from the Search Institute in yeah. Minnesota. Mm -hmm. When we talk about kids, we talk about how to develop positive assets in them. Yes. And one of the assets that is mentioned in the 40 assets, assets that we should be shooting for mm -hmm. with kids um, is the sense that there is something bigger than they are. Mm. So how important is it that families sort of incorporate 
specific activities or specific conversations into their daily routines to kind of drive that home? I think it's really important. It's important to um, think about ourselves within larger systems and mm -hmm. to teach that to our kids and really in all the interactions that we have, um, that we are, you know, an individual within a family, within a community, within a world, and yep. to really broaden that and provide exposure and opportunity for kids not to just think about that, but to actually do that. Mm -hmm. You were talking about worldview earlier, mm -hmm. and Carlos Slusky developed this model of um, how change occurs and he identified that it's through changes in structure or hierarchy in other words like you know some sense of order mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. parents having executive <clears throat> sort of organization for their kids not kids having organization of the household entirely right and so he had that as one thing having that in some sort of order is important changes in a person's behavior mm -hmm. and then changes in their worldview and if you can change all three and oftentimes the work that I do all the time is around addressing those three things that if you can shift worldview, that's the hardest one. Yeah, but you know what's interesting to me is that this idea that, I mean, <clears throat> I think that we mistakenly think that it's our worldview that drives our behavior. Right. And yet, <laughs> when you think about the phrase, fake it until you make it, yeah. sometimes if you've got somebody who's in a funk, mm -hmm. getting them to behave in a positive yes. way their behavior. Yeah, it's not their worldview, no. it's the behavior. Worldview is the hardest one to change, mm -hmm. in my opinion. Over mm -hmm. the you know 20 yep. plus years I've been yep. doing this, it's the most important one that at some point shift in order for lasting change to take place. But first order change or brief intermittent change is still valuable mm -hmm. and it helps us practice, right? And so- That's how things become Exactly, habit. exactly. And yep. so that first order change, you can go into any one of those uh, doors mm -hmm. to create longer lasting change mm -hmm. but you do need to hit on all three for it to be long lasting it's interesting because parents used to ask me all the time you know I, I, in my career I dealt with kids that were roughly between the ages of 11 and 14 mm. you know not always a, a, a family's favorite age group exactly. uh, and I used to get parents come in all the time and say you know what is wrong with my mm. kid mm. how is it that my child does not know right. X, Y, and Z? Yeah. And I would say two things to them. One, moral development mm. is on a continuum. Yes. You, you're not All born, you're not born knowing the difference between what your particular family or community determines yeah. is right or wrong. So true. You're not born that way. Um, Initially, I mean, I, I, Lawrence Kohlberg, I'm sure you know who mm -hmm. he is, the yeah. father of moral development, exactly. if you will, in, in, in America, um, used to say that, you know, the f first reason that you don't do something is because you don't want to get caught. You're right. afraid of punishment. That's the bottom tier, yeah. so to speak, or first round. Yeah, mm -hmm. and ultimately what we want to be doing is leading to, from uh, I am or I am not going to do something because something bad will happen to mm -hmm. me to I am or I am not going to do something because that's the right thing. Yes, shifting from external locus of control to internal lo locus of control yep. is sort of along those similar lines of like first order versus 
versus second order change. And mm -hmm. I, it was always fascinating to me how asking people to think about whether or not they actually have conversation, right. directed conversation at well, why do we help our neighbors? Right. Why do we belong to a church community? Right. Why do we um, subscribe? Give money that. back. If you're in the line at the bank and the teller gives mm -hmm. you too much money, why do we give it back? Yes. You know, I, I think there are so many opportunities that get missed Absolutely. because we don't think about it. Just so many rich, teachable moments mm -hmm. for ourselves as well as others, right? There, it's unlimited. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, biggest challenges for families facing the holidays? Yeah, I think it's really holidays, and, and again, with this theme of spirituality being around even connection, right, with ourselves, with mm -hmm. others, um, with our larger world and, and greater, larger powers, whatever they may be, I think that is um, something that we need to really hold space for during the holiday time is that idea of connection. Mm -hmm. And that, of course, we need, you know, a balance of self-care and selflessness, but I think that balance is really key key to enjoying the holidays and of being able to um, hold space that's outside of ourselves and honoring, you know, what is important to us. But we have to think about what those things are and we have to talk about them yeah. within our families so that yeah. we can actually do them. Right. Yeah. I, I'm struck by the spirit of generosity that we all have yes you know the days the days get shorter mm -hmm. they get darker earlier Thank and you. we need to be kind and generous yes. towards one another as the darkness comes mm, I love that yeah yeah uh, but the darkness also comes at a time of year mm. that lends itself to giving it does, and to rest, right? That's mm -hmm. sort of in nature. The leaves, the trees rest, you know, the darker days, our chickens are resting. They're not laying as many eggs, you know, because the days are shorter, less yep. sun. It's a combination of rest and also continuing to give, mm -hmm. you know, and so it's, if we can create some space for both, I think it's important. I'm fascinated by this aspect of uh, 56% of mm. clinicians not asking at all, at all about what someone's spirituality is yes. anchored on. It's It really shocked me. And I think that that's some of it, like I said, is there's not much research out there, not much being discussed mm -hmm. around the connection of these things. But more, more recently there is. So that's, you know, provides some hopefulness that we can, you know, really see the value in being able to ask questions about a person worldview belief system and spirituality as I think a part of their whole person. I think it's a fabulous opportunity for conversation starters. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah. uh, you and I have never actually talked. We've talked about a lot so of things. Yeah. And we have never actually talked about our own personal philosophies of spirituality. Yeah. And yet, if someone were to ask me if I considered you to be a spiritual person, mm -hmm. I would say without a mm -hmm. doubt, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I know that about yeah. you. Mm -hmm. Why Likewise. I know that about you, I don't know. But yeah. um, So there's something yeah. that a person is able to 
sort of emanate. Yes, I think there is a sort of emotion that comes outside and beyond just our own internal processing. Putting their energy into yeah. the world. And is it Maya Angelou who said how it is? It's not about like how a, what a person does for us, but how they make us feel, how we feel with them. Right. You know, a person can't make us feel a certain way, but how we feel with them it stays with us. I used to say that about teachers yeah. all the time. Oh, that kids, sure. kids will forget what they learned, yes. but they will never forget how they felt yes. in someone's presence. They don't. And, yes. you know, you ask someone, yep. you know, they're that teacher who did that, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? They'll remember and it's almost like imprinted. And mm -hmm. so we need to do more of that, right? Well, I am thankful for the opportunity to get to know you and I'm thankful for being here with you today. Likewise. I encourage all of our viewers to uh, tune in on BCTV. You can get us on demand. Mm -hmm. You can listen to our podcast. And uh, we'll be back next week with the continuing saga of wellness in our modern world. Six-part series. Six-part series. All right, all right. Diane. See it's you good then. to see you. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you.